Welcome to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World. Two film buff friends decide to spend their remaining days creating and watching the ultimate movie bucket list. A podcast filled with film discussions, movie reviews, and a healthy dose of juicy celebrity gossip. Cinephiles unite. We're going to need each other. There is a war in this podcast. I don't know. I... <laughs> yeah, I was just going to be like, I guess so, sure. <laughs> Not really. We get along. <laughs> what? There is a war in this podcast. Oh, there isn't. No, it's we get along fine. But the podcast is maybe about a war? Is it, though? <laughs> what, what, what is the war to you? De- define the war in our podcast. Between liking it and not liking it? Not liking it? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll find out if there is a war or are we in agreement about whether we like or dislike this movie. There we go. Oh my God, this is all very it cryptic. Was re- it was really hard to find something for this one. Really hard, yeah. I can yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, Mitha, for the last time in season one, oh. how are you? I am living and breathing. Guys, that's the last time you're going to hear it. That's it. It's the Ever? last time. Yeah. We're not, I don't know how many. Mita has like 19 seasons of this podcast planned. <laughs> but <laughs> we're going to see how far we get. But yeah, next season, someone else will be something. I That's all as vague as we can you get. You better start coming up with something. I know. Am I the one? Who's, <laughs> the pressure uh, is on. The pressure on. is on. Yeah. I need a catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll come up with something. There you go. So Mita, I haven't been, I haven't talked to you actually quite a lot. I've been very busy with like work and so have you. Um, yeah. in like personal life but Mita I've been watching Downton Abbey <laughs> I'm on have season you 5 <laughs> no I haven't have you... oh okay have you seen it does it seem like your kind of show I've never watched it I think I started the first episode and I was bored <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can see that <laughs> and I felt like they didn't talk about the Titanic enough so <laughs> I thought they talked about the Titanic quite a bit actually <laughs> no there's so much more we could talk about but it's not about the, the Titanic t- I know, I know, I know. But that was the thing that was intriguing to me. Was that it was all centered around the sinking of the Titanic? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought that there would be more Titanic. But anyways, all this to say, I've been watching Downton Abbey for, and not long. And these are, it's like, they're like an hour episode almost. Mm -hmm. And it's eight or nine. I'd say it's about 10 episodes because the last episode is a long episode. And I'm on season five of six. I'm almost done. What are you going to do? Oh, there's a movie, right? Uh, yeah, I w- but th- I will watch the movie right after I watch the, the series. Yeah. I've and always a Christmas special. So the Christmas specials are like se- the season finales. Oh, yes. okay. Okay, okay, okay. There you go. <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. Are you? I, first of all, you know how much I love Gosford Park. Yeah. Which was also... aristocracy. Uh, I don't know if I love the aristocracy so much. What I love is, A, I love Gosford Park, which was also written by Julian Fellows. So... That's a big thing. I love the upstairs downstairs. Like I yeah. love the 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 idea that you know in one house or in one like place you have high society and low society living together in two different worlds and like how those worlds interact and how they they play. I love it. I find it so fascinating and I actually think I'm going to throw this out into the universe. I think what would be so fascinating is an Indian version of this because oh. I think because so ah let me tell you the most okay. fascinating story, and I don't think my family listens to this podcast. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna. Your wife does. My wife does, but like I don't think my extended family does. Okay, okay, okay. So, when my cousin, no names will be named, when my cousin was getting married, uh-huh. my aunt had a private eye 
hired to <laughs> follow her fiance to mm. see what kind of person he was before they were getting married. And the private eye said, you can only learn so much about someone through following them and stalking them. Where you get the real information is by interviewing the servants. Because oh. they know, they know, they know the people better than anybody. Clarify for me: this family lives in India. Yes, so my yes. family okay. is from like, India. Lives in where? India. Yeah, exactly. They they are from <laughs> India. They live in India, where the the servant class is actually very very common, and yeah. it, this it's not like something reserved for the upper class, like it is pretty much everywhere else. But in India, you are like middle class, and you have help working for you. Have you seen The White Tiger yet? I haven't. <laughs> okay, now We're you need to watch to The White Tiger. I know. Yeah. The plan is actually to watch Sound of Metal tomorrow. Oh, yeah. fancy. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really enjoying Downton Abbey. No, I guess you don't want to spoil your feel. Did they wind up getting married? <laughs> what I would like to- your cousin. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they, did. they have two kids. They're happily married. They're, okay. But it's there super. I just find that super fascinating. And I think in, you can do so much from that from like an Indian perspective because there's so much to be learned and so much to be learned yeah. in like modern society. Downton yeah. Abbey is set in like, it starts in 1912. And I think mm-hmm. it, it goes like 10, 15 years. So there's only so much you can do with it because society changes in that. But this is like, in this day and age, what can you learn? I think you have your next script idea. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, but that's enough about Mimita. What about you? Talk to me. I've just been hanging out and doing nothing, like always. Where are you on your movie? Uh, in my movie watch? Let me take a look at my spreadsheet. I think I'm at 80... Oh, no, I closed it. Um, I am at probably 86 movies for the year. Oh, so you're kind of caught up, actually, on your on the progress you made previously? Yeah. Okay. I'm at, yes. I've had a couple of weeks there where I just haven't been watching anything. Like, I'm yeah. just so tired and drained from the panorama. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I'm not yeah. watching stuff. But I did watch Kid 90. Have you heard of this? No. Kid 90 is this documentary that's made by Soleil Moon Fry. Do you know who Soleil Moon Fry is? <laughs> Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster, yeah. Um, so Punky Brewster made this um, documentary in which Punky Brewster, when she was a teenager in the 90s, always had a video camera on her mm-hmm. and was like filming all this stuff with her friends who are all like famous kid stars. So it like has Mark Paul Gossler and yeah. Brian or D- David Brian Green. David, what's his name? Brian. Brian Austin David Green? from. Brian Austin Green. Sorry, I call him David because his name's David on mm. Beverly Hills 90210. Um, Brian Austin Green, Balthazar Getty. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> some I, weird. I reason. saw some pictures. I think, like, was Leonardo DiCaprio in some of her, like... Um, yeah, he's not interviewed in the movie, yeah. but he, like, is in some clips yeah. and, like... Of their, like, kids She lost posse. her virginity to Charlie Sheen. And, like, so, like, the movie itself, the trailer makes it seem, like, really interesting and she's trying to get to, like, some kind of big point about everything. But she doesn't. <laughs> No, like, I don't think it really, like, n- hits a nail there. I think it's it's definitely interesting and, like, to be a part of that time was yeah. something. Because, like, not everyone's going to have those stories. No. But I feel like she doesn't really, like, dig in. And it's kind of just, like, passes over a lot of stuff. She talks about, like, all the people who, like, took their own lives back then. And how, like, they she back then she didn't recognize the signs of help that they needed. Yeah. But now looking back at all those tapes, like, she kept a lot of stuff she had all these videotapes that she used to record but then she also kept like voice recordings from like um voicemails and stuff and like she plays them in the movie which is like really interesting but i don't think she really like digs in so 
because you, but I watched that. It sounds like she had an idea and a very clever idea, actually. Like yeah. if she had had a little bit more insight, it would have been interesting to see how, like, if she she almost had to like plan out. This is my goal to do this. Mm-hmm. Now let's start to do it. It's like boyhood. And it, I think the problem with it though was that. Even she says in the documentary, it's like, I haven't listened back to these things Hmm. in like 20 something years. Like, I've never looked at it. I just like recorded them and put them aside. And I don't think she did what you're saying, which is she actually like listened to it all beforehand. I think she was like piecing this together as she was doing it. That's bad. Yeah. So there's no real thesis to it, I guess, is what I feel like. Like, there's no, no overall message. It's kind of all just pieced together. Because documentary filmmaking is hard. Yeah, I can't imagine it's doing really it. Really difficult, and like you actually have to write. So I, this is going to sound like very minuscule to what documentary filmmaking is, but I remember when my sister got married, me and my brother did this like video for the reception where we interviewed my parents about what it was like when my sister, because my sister is their first child, they had immigrated from India, like what that whole like their life was, and mm-hmm. I like edited it together with like music and pictures and all of that. And I had an idea of how I wanted the interview to go. And I asked, I had the questions written down. But when they answered, then I had the footage. And I was like, okay, I had to change then what direction I wanted this video to go in. Because once yeah. you actually have the material, you have to work with what you have. Mm-hmm. You have an idea of where you want to take it and you try to get it in that direction. But once you have material, you have to work with it because that's the reality and that's what you're trying to say. So It's, it's kind of like being a lawyer. Yeah. So it kind of yeah, sounds like she got to that second part. I have all this stuff, but she had no idea what she was trying to do with it. Yeah. And she just kind of pieced it together. Yeah. It was a little messy to me, but mm. like kind of cool to see all that stuff and all those people back then yeah. and just like hanging out like kids. And she was open about like the drugs they used and oh. like how they abused alcohol. And she was like a campaigner for the Just Say No campaign. Yeah. But they also. She yes. was like she was doing ecstasy on the weekend. Yeah. But yeah. The oh, 90s. The 90s. <laughs> Mita, should we launch into our conversation? Let's get into it. I mean, like, it's kind of bittersweet. I don't, I, I, I want to, but I don't want to. I know. But I know we have more to come. There's so so there's more things to come. For people. So yes, why don't but... I do our last bit of housekeeping for season one? Yes. And housekeeping will look different. Yeah. Everything is going to look different. But for the time being, thank you so much for listening, friends. It has been a ride. It has been one year. 50 freaking episodes is like... Wow. Mita and I are really... You don't have to pat us on the back because Mita and I are patting ourselves on the back <laughs> right now. This I'm was literally doing Really. It. We were super impressed with ourselves that we kept going for 50 weeks. For our listenership, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really do appreciate it. We are seeing a little bit more activity. People are reaching out to us. We are getting messages and things like that. So thank you so much for that. Please follow us at... Movies to Watch Pod on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter at Movies the Number Two Watch Pod, and you can email us at Movies to Watch Pod at gmail.com. All of our handles, all of our social media, our email, none of that is going to change. It's all going to remain the same for season two. Um, so you can continue to follow us on those things or email us at Movies to Watch at gmail.com because we are still here and we're going to talk about season two and what is forthcoming at the end of this podcast. But yeah. before we get there, we have a a movie to review, Mita. Yeah. What did we watch for episode 50? So for episode 50, wow, 50. 50. Um, we watched Stanley Kubrick's first film that he ever made, Fear and Desire, Fear from and 1953. Desire. Fear. 
and desire. desire. Yes. It's a great title. Uh, yeah. Yes. Probably the best um, thing about the movie. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> well, before we get to that, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit of why I chose it. Um, so initially I had Lolita on my list. Did you? Yeah. Like not from the get-go, but when I was trying to figure out what movies I wanted okay. to watch, I put Lolita down because, you know, there's this little overlying theme a little bit with our podcast mm-hmm. in which we did watch a few Stanley Kubrick movies. Um, we started it off with 2001 A Space Odyssey um, and about halfway through we watched Eyes Wide Shut, mm-hmm. which I think I love more and more every day. I think about it a lot. Yeah. It like pops into my brain, which um is what a movie should do. Yeah. 2001 of Space Odyssey, I'm not too sure about. But <laughs> I watch it. She's in there. She's and in so there. when I was mapping out, you know, what is the end of this podcast going to look like? I was like, let's end it with a Stanley Kubrick film. We had one at the beginning. We had yeah. one in the middle. So we should end with one. And so I had Lolita initially down. But then I was looking at his career and like what's there. And I thought... Well, we started with 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was in the middle of his career. Mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Shut was his last film that he made. So why don't we watch... Why don't we end with the beginning? His... Yes, let's end with the beginning. Um, and so I, I said, Nadim, Fear and Desire is on Amazon Prime. It's from 1953, and it's only like 61 minutes. So let's do it. And we did. Do you know I've tried <laughs> to read Lolita like three times? Have you? It's very slow. I've never read it. I know the story. For one of the most controversial pieces of literature ever made, it is a dry book. Really? Yeah. It's oh. really hard to read. Do you think the movie is better? Have you seen it? I haven't seen Lolita, actually. And I think oh. Lolita is one of those things that... Because Stanley Kubrick's version, does it's not one of his most famous, I'd say. I think it's one of... I, I, I do want to watch it. But I think Lolita has a bigger fanfare than the product itself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the idea of a man in a relationship with a, a teenage girl or a prepubescent girl is the thing that guides the whole Lolita, the history of it, essentially. Like, it's the reason okay. it's famous, but I don't know if the content itself is, like, arresting. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I think it would be really interesting to explore in today's times. Yeah. And I think you yeah. could do something very interesting <laughs> with it, too. Yeah. But yes. Before we start talking about the Kubricks and all of that, I'm just going to give you all a quick IMDb breakdown of uh, the plot description for Fear and Desire. Four soldiers trapped behind enemy lines confront their fears and desires. Yeah, sure. That's what... (laughs) There there you go. That's what this 61-minute movie is about. (laughs) Yes. Tell me what you thought. Okay. So, I didn't read anything about Mm -hmm. it beforehand. I went into it blind. And the first piece of information I read uh, after I watched this was that this was Stanley Kubrick hates. <laughs> hates this movie. <laughs> hates this movie. He wanted to have all the copies of it burned. I agree with you. <laughs> and I understand why. <laughs> I understand why. I understand why. I think I'm, how old was he? I didn't, I he forgot to look up his age. He was really young when this was made. Yeah. This was made with very little money. Yeah. Like, this was made in 1953. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot not going for this film. There's a lot not happening here. There's a lot not happening here. And I think there are obvious frustrations going into this. Like I read a a bit about how there was lack of budget. The writing wasn't quite what Stanley wanted. And he put a lot of himself into this Mm -hmm. because he not only directed it, 
but he edited it and he shot it himself too. Yeah. And so I just, I can totally, there's just so much about this that is, it's, it's slow. The plot is not great. There's no real character development. There's no, there's no substance in this mm-hmm. to me. And it's so unlike all of his, the rest of the films that I have watched, which aren't that many, but the ones that I have watched, all of those things that are missing from this are in them. And so for me, like, Watching this is hard because <laughs> I literally had to break it up into four parts. It's only an hour and I broke it up into four parts. <laughs> That's bad. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad, guys. That's and bad. I, you know, from listening from the past 49 episodes, if a movie's short, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, like, I just could not get myself into it. I couldn't see what was promising of these characters. And part of it is it's about a war, which in general, I don't like that genre. I'm not interested. I don't, unless you're telling me something I've never heard before, I don't really care for it. But yeah, it's just so hard to to get yourself into and to be excited for these people. Because it's so short, there's no actual story being told, no character development. You're just kind of like following along with these four guys, but you don't even know why. And you don't believe in anything that they're doing. I, I just... There's a lot that I don't like about this. So I'm going to let you tell me what you thought about it, too. Of the 50 movies that we've watched at this point, (laughs) this is the one I have cared about the absolute least. (laughs) This was such a boring movie. Yeah. It was... I did... I, I couldn't tell you the names of the characters. I didn't care about them. I didn't care about the plot or whatever it was. I could give less Fs about this movie. It was just so inconsequential. And I think what is flabbergasting is that Stanley Kubrick directed this. Mm -hmm. And it is, it was such a snore. (laughs) I find it so funny. It took you four, four parts to watch this. You have to sit there 15 minutes and be like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) I just kept getting distracted. So distracted. There was not a moment where I was arrested by this. No. There was not... There are things I will I will not lie there. The cinematography, for instance, at times is excellent. Like some of the shots are really fascinating and they're really interesting. And you can see Stanley, you can see what we know of Stanley start yes. here. Yeah. There is that. Like you can see the you can see that, oh, clearly this is where he was coming from. Uh-huh. But that's it. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I And like I just felt like there's no intention in any of this. Any of this. It's... And that just is so unlike him from the other movies that I've watched. And so pretentious. Mm-hmm. Like, so like pretentious. He felt like he was doing something really cool yeah. at the time. Yeah. But but then reading that he literally does, didn't want a single person to ever yeah. see this. So I kind of feel bad. Like, we've betrayed him in some way. Because By watching we've watched it? this now. Yeah. And now we have bad juju. <laughs> no, because I don't think this affects my opinion of Stanley Kubrick at all. And if anything, I think what it does is, I think the thing I took away from this the most was that you can be arguably one of the best filmmakers of all time. Yeah. And still start here. Like, That's it doesn't true, all yeah. have to be, you don't, your first movie doesn't, some some directors do get it right the first time. And that's that's hard to mm-hmm. to follow up on. You know, that's not easy for a lot of people to maintain that type of integrity and that type of momentum with with their work but stanley kubrick started with this movie that is not good mm-hmm. and he ended with eyes wide shut and in between he made a clockwork orange he made a shot the shining he made 2001 a space odyssey he made full metal jacket he you know he made he made mm-hmm. he made he made 
he is Stanley Kubrick, and the fact that this was his first movie and it's just not good doesn't change that. No, and I think that there are a lot of directors who on the first one, they are really good, and then they're, the next one is not great. And like yes. there's a, such a decline in that. And so I'm happy that I think like when I think about Hollywood now, I think there's so much pressure on people who are making films. And I think about someone like Zack Snyder, who just gets like all these, he just keeps getting all the chances in the world. And like, for being such a subpar director. Yeah. He's just like, it's, it's terrible. And there are so many better people who could have done those movies Mm -hmm. that he's made. Yeah. Or specifically if you're thinking about the DC or UE or whatever they are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Meet that's a marvel girl guys i'm a marvel girl i don't like the dc universe but I, although i do love batman but yeah. they batman doesn't count i'm sorry yeah it doesn't he's not a part of the rest of the world <laughs> but no zach snyder keeps getting all these chances he keeps getting all these huge movies to direct and they're not good they're not great they're not. and like i don't know why there's all that promise there and so what is very nice to see is that Stanley Kubrick started off like with something very bad, mm-hmm. but you know, as an auteur and as a filmmaker, like he was able to build that up and keep making projects and keep being able to put things out there that have now have him recognized as one of the greatest filmmakers of our time. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's so much actually power in that, especially for filmmakers and young filmmakers to be, because when you talk about Stanley Kubrick, you talk about him as like some godlike figure essentially in the filmmaking world. So you think that set, like he came out of the womb and he was like, I shall direct The Shining. And like, that's not how it was. It was, it was, it was work and it was effort for him to get to that level of art. And I think it's so important that people watch something like this to understand that like, hey, everyone starts here. You have to work to get to the, you know, the end. You have he to... was that fetus in 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Meet the... We figured it we out. We figured it out. We're... Just brought it full circle. It's done. <laughs> but one thing I want to ask is, when I was watching this, I was disappointed for it as a movie, full stop, period. And I was even more turned out turned down by the fact that it was Stanley Kubrick. But did we put higher... Did, did you at least have higher expectations on this because it was directed by Stanley? I did know it was his first one, and so I know it, it. maybe it wouldn't be as spectacular as Eyes Wide Shut, because for me right now, that's like, that's the ultimate. Yeah. And I guess you're, yeah, I probably did. I thought, okay, like, it's his first film, but it's still Stanley Kubrick. He's well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's putting out there. Everything has a meaning to it. And this just, like, didn't have any of that. No. Like, I can't tell you, and I I think aside from that, I could even let go a script that maybe is slightly disjoint or doesn't, you know, work. If if you're mm-hmm. arresting, if you can, you know, grab my attention. And like, we mm-hmm. talked about this with the Ejivani Hedivani, that sometimes like a weak script can be saved by, you know, excellent direction, right? Like a director yeah. can take a script that has a story that's kind of like wishy-washy or cheesy or whatever and turn it around and turn it into something magical because that's what a director does. This had a weak script and a weak director at the time. Mm-hmm. So there was just no the safe there was just no saving it. And I feel like maybe that's probably like he seems like the kind of person that obstacles really bring him down. So like one small setback is really gonna like crush the rest of him just by hearing like the way he treats his actors and the yeah. way he like really pursues things. So I think like early in your career when you're kind of you know you have these obstacles of like you don't have a great script there's not really any story here to work with Mm -hmm. i think that's probably what got in his way and why this isn't so 
good at all. But also maybe why he turned out to be the director that he was, that he demanded so much because he knew, like maybe in this, he probably didn't. He probably let... He knows his potential. Yeah, he let his script go. He let the actors get away with certain things and that like he saw how terrible it was or how much he hated it. And then as he grew as a filmmaker, he's like, no, I have have to work at making this the best it can be. And that's why he... And I have to take all the chances. But like one of the things that I think about a lot though is that I don't think he would be able to work in today's industry. Why? The way he treated people and the way, like, they talk a lot about that. They talk a lot about Alfred Hitchcock, how he was just terrible with his actors and, you know, created really volatile and toxic sets. And, like, I think we're kind of in a in a world now where those things are not tolerated, and which is a good thing. Is it though? But is, exactly. Is it, though? Yeah. Because you think about, you know, The Shining, which you made me watch last year, and... Like that performance from both Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson, it's just, it's insane. And they put a lot of work into it. And I think Kubrick gets all the reward from it and they don't really necessarily, uh-huh. like people haven't praised them, but he created, you know, Shelley Duvall did not have a good life after that film and it really did ruin her in a lot of ways. And like, she's, she's in a bad place and a lot of it could be rooted back to that one experience. Is that a good thing? Because we have this beautiful movie in the film, you know, history that people love to refer to and produce. It's a very good movie. But, but Shelley Duvall suffered. Shelley Duvall suffered quite a bit. And I don't, I don't know where I stand of like, is one worth the other? Like, where is that on a, on a scale of balance? I mean, at the end of the day, no, no movie is worth someone's mental health. The question becomes, did The Shining really lead to her unraveling? Yes. Like, no, that's what she claims because claims. Stanley Kubrick was hard on her. The way Stanley yeah. Kubrick is hard on all of his actors and actresses. Yeah. But was this the reason, or was was this the was this the reason, or was this just the straw that broke the camel's back? The camel's back, and I guess there are a lot of different elements. Like if you think about that time, mental health wasn't yeah. something that you could really address, or you could go and get yourself. You could go to therapy, but there's so much stigma with it. Or like even she, I'm sure she probably did seek help, but people weren't willing to help. Yeah. And so that comes into play as well. But I just like I'm so curious if he was still alive today and let's say he was younger. Is that kind of environment going to be allowed? Are people going to do that Stanley Kubrick movie? Well, let me ask you a question, Mita. Mm-hmm. Actors are hired to do a job and the director is the person to determine whether that job has been done. If a director just works their actors hard and has high expectations from them and demands that they arrive at work prepared to do a job properly, why is that wrong? And why is that different from you going to your job and Mm -hmm. your boss demanding you to work for what you're being paid? I, oh, oh, well, mm. I think there are some management, though, that they set the bar too high. And like, yes, somebody, I think, okay. I guess like on a film set, it needs to be a very collaborative mm-hmm. environment because, you know, his expectations and his bar are very high. And then it's really up to that actor or actress. Like, are they going to live up to that, to that bar or do they see it in a very different way? Do they see the movie, you know, completely different? And I think that probably speaks to how he chose actors later on in his career of like making sure that they were. I don't know if he did, but making sure they were, you know, gung ho for living in England for over a year yeah, to film I was just a movie. Say that, yeah. Yeah. 
But that's an interesting point because I've had bosses who like they set the bar too high and you set everybody up for failure. Like you're not allowing for any improvement. You're not allowing for any growth because you're just setting it way too high. But is Stanley Kubrick not proving that he he demands he has high demand he has high expectations sorry but that it is worth it in the end like aren't the films that he produces and that he directs evidence of the fact that his demands on his actors actually work i guess it's how you're weighing what makes it a great film like are you thinking box office because i don't think he's like no i don't think anyone's weighing king i don't think anyone's weighing. but stanley kubrick alfred hitchcock david fincher like these are all directors who have a who have a reputation for working their actors extremely hard and demanding mm-hmm. a lot from them. These are also mm-hmm. actors who produce extremely high caliber work. Yes. Like I don't want to say anyone should put themselves in a toxic environment. I think it's But you is have it to know... I guess my question is is it actually a toxic environment or are you just a baby? It's like Meghan Markle. She didn't know what she was getting into. <laughs> I think the difference is by baby? like by the point that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were doing Eyes Wide Shut, they knew exactly what they were getting into. They knew, into. yeah. There's yes. no mystery. And that's why they don't, they talk about it being hard, but they don't complain about it. I have a theory with this, though. Oh, okay. I think, okay, so I think Nicole Kidman has, has said in interviews too, she's always looking at the who's directing the film and that's going to help her make her choices. Mm-hmm. She wants to work with different types of directors and she wants to, you know, have those experiences and put, challenge herself and put herself into different situations. I think Tom Cruise was riding this wave of fame mm-hmm. and uh, I think Nicole probably wanted to experiment and I don't think Tom Cruise was into experimenting i think tom is all about that box office baby yeah and he wants he wants that fame and that glory and if you look at his films after eyes wide shut except for magnolia he doesn't really challenge himself in that way no, at all. like you have it a little bit with vanilla sky but it's still with someone like cameron crow which yes. is a safe choice very safe and so when you look at those two i think he put himself into the situation that is very challenging and time consuming and something different and i don't think he liked it I don't think he did. And I think that's why all we see now are Mission Impossible films and Jack Reacher and The Mummy, things that are supposed to get all this box office glory, but nothing that's actually really compelling and interesting Mm -hmm. and different and produces a performance that shows his versatility because he does have it. Oh, yeah. Tom Cruise is actually a good actor. Yeah, he has We just don't see it anymore. He's choosing not to do it anymore. Yeah. But the thing about that is even Tom Cruise doesn't complain about Stanley Kubrick. And granted, Stanley Kubrick is now dead. So it's and it was like they were the last people to work with him. So I think yeah. it's hard for Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman to come out and be like, he was a tyrant. It was the worst experience of my life. Like, I don't yeah. think they could do that. But I think they understood what was happening. And I, I think Shelley Duvall maybe didn't have the press as, like she didn't know Stanley Kubrick was this kind of director, mm-hmm. but maybe she had she was used to being coddled as a, as an actress. Did he hit her? Did he abuse her? Or was he just demanding? He wanted a performance. He wanted yeah. this performance. You give me this performance. Yeah. And I can also I can get your repute. Stanley Kubrick's reputation is last is riding sorry on her. If she doesn't deliver. It's screwing up his movie. Why should he work with someone or ex- or why should he compromise on his vision and his ethics because she can't get, because she's a baby, because she can't put up with 
you know, the hard expectation from her. And this is why Ron Howard's movies suck. I don't think Ron Howard rides people like that. But isn't there something to be said about that, Mita? Like, you need to know, a director's job is to know how, this is the performance you want to see, how are you going to extract that? How are you really going to get an actor to do that? Some actors are intuitive, but you need... Are there any, are there any documentaries about him, like, that are really, like, because I find this really interesting of, like, I, I agree with you. I think he obviously knows what he's doing. He produces great work. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, if I was in that position, I would really, you know, struggle with my morality in a lot of those situations of, like, I know I am putting this person under an immense amount of pressure and I'm being a, a terrible person to them. But I also know it's for this great end result that is, you know, ultimately what I want to put out into the world and what I want to produce. But, like, how do you balance, you know, treating someone like shit and creating something that's memorable and will forever be, you know, part of the film lexicon? So the expectation is that the director should treat the actor properly. Let's just say, generally speaking, like, when you say he treated her like shit, why is it that he treated her like shit and not that she was being a shitty person? I mean, I've never heard anything of him speaking about it. I've only heard her side of the story. Yeah, he's been very private. I've heard her and Jack Nicholson say, like, that was excruciating. It was very hard to go through that and to work on that set. And Jack Nicholson has spoken up for Shelly before and said, like, no, she was put through the ringer. And so, you know, there are three sides to every story. Uh And, like, I think it's uh, it's sad that we won't. Side A, side B, and the truth. Truth. (laughs) That's, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Thank you for mansplaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe our readers, our listeners didn't get that, Misa. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, guys. There's three sides to every story. One person's side, the other, and then the truth. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, that's why I'm curious. Are there any, do we have any sort of source material to see, like, what were his feelings towards things? How did he battle these kind of emotions? Did he think, like, she was being, you know, unfair? But generally speaking, these directors don't need to justify it because in the end the means do like the end does justify the means all like stanley kubrick alfred hitchcock until lesser extent david fincher it's all the same they ride their actors hard everyone knows that but then you're producing the social network or psycho or the birds or a clockwork orange or the shining like don't forget zodiac zodiac like but that's (laughs) what you're doing you're you're producing these things in the end so why why would you sit there and be like Oh, I'm really, there's a lot of turmoil I go through by putting my actors. No, man, I put my actors through the ringer. They win Academy Awards. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. But like, I, it's that morality factor that like breaches into the back of my mind. It's like, also as a consumer, like, do I want to watch, you know, this might be a great piece of film, but do I want to watch, you know, Shelley Duvall go through the ringer in real life and like now knowing all those things that had happened like it's hard it's hard to battle your morality i'm still gonna watch the movie and i'm gonna love it that's me personally but i think that that's a question moviegoers have to ask themselves shelly duvall looks like she's really struggling in the shining i gotta say and it's a question of whether she is part of the role yeah like whether she is struggling or the character is struggling and like that's a part of it but you also understand that the shining is about three people and a giant like place. Mm-hmm. So she, her character and how what she represents is so important in getting across emotion. She cannot depend on other people when the other two people are so extreme. 
she has to emote and she has to emote a certain way so the audience understands what she's going through. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I guess like my questioning is like when you think of something like, and I don't know all the details, but like Uma Thurman on the Kill Bill set where she had like an injury and Quentin Tarantino did not handle it properly and like kind of ignored it. And she was like, no, like I need medical attention. And they kind of were like, no, we have to keep the ball rolling. Like, that's I not mean, that's a negligent. safe environment. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, I think Natalie Portman had said on the set of Black Swan, someone had hurt themselves. And uh, and uh, initially, they didn't have any medical, any medics there mm-hmm. to, like, take care of things. And there's injuries that happen with dancing all the time. Yeah. And, like, as a producer, she was like, no, no, no. Like, we have to make sure that this but is she's okay. a producer. That's actually a producer's yeah. job. It's not the director's job. A director yeah. can facilitate that and help with that and should. But at the end of the day, the director's job, because... The producer can take care of injuries and like all of that. That's their their position. Because if the movie sucks, the director is answerable. Mm-hmm. The director could lose. Fine, you create Black Swan. And if it's great, you're Darren Aronofsky and you get to ride that wave. But when it sucks, no one will turn around and look at you. Your entire career is on the movie you are directing right now. I think everyone remembers and the if you And if you got to cry so that I can feed my family, you're going to cry. <laughs> But then we look at someone who's up and coming and directing and we hear like the complete opposite, like Olivia Wilde, where everyone's like, she's a dream to work with. She's so lovely. And like, I loved Booksmart. I think the performances in that are very strong. And like, yes, it's a different type of it's movie. It's a comedy. I was just going to say, it's yeah. a little bit different. Which I'm excited for. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry, darlings. Something darlings. Don't your darlings. Yeah, something. something darlings with Harry Styles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Florence Pugh. I'm excited because I think that is a drama. So I'm excited to see what she does with that and like how she's going to be able to evoke those kinds of performances. Mm-hmm. Because from that first film, which is she did really great with, you know, she was able to get a lot of, out of those actors and they all have wonderful things to say about her. And again, it's a comedy. And I think yeah. I think on a comedy set, keeping the mood light is actually a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is your job as a director. Yeah. Your job is then... To keep it light, keep it real. So, and she, look, I think Booksmart is such a good movie. It's so funny. It's so well directed, so well written. I think Olivia Wilde will be a significantly better filmmaker than she ever was an actress. Uh, yeah. But again, that movie was a comedy. Fair. I wonder what the set of Spotlight was like. <laughs> I love Spotlight. I like Spotlight, Spotlight too. Spotlight, yeah. But I, I guarantee it was a lot more, like heavier. But also, that movie didn't turn out spectacular performances. It's a good movie with good yeah. performances. It's an excellent screenplay. And that and the direction is great. And the, the performances do enough to get the movie across. Mm-hmm. We've really gone far away from fear and desire here. But I'm so... Because I'll be honest, watching this, it's like, what are we going to talk about? I know, about? honestly. Because there's no depth here whatsoever. There's I also... Nothing. I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't. I didn't care. And about half you it was taking you fifteen minutes to watch it. About halfway through, I was like, "This is the longest movie I've seen in a long time." And it's an hour long. <laughs> it's an hour long. The only other thing I would like to say is it is officially too short of a film. Yes, because there's nothing. I need to you be to explored. talk about that. It is, and and uh, yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think um, a sixty-minute documentary, great, yeah. love it. I think you can put a lot out in a documentary in that short amount of time. When you're trying to make a war drama yeah. about four soldiers and their experience and their fears and desires, yeah. sixty-one minutes is just too short of a time because one, 
I can't tell you who's who. I know the names. Like, I know the name Mac and Sydney and whatnot. Sure. But, like, I don't know who's who, and I don't quite understand that. I don't understand, you know, this woman that they decided to kidnap in the middle of the movie. I literally, I can't, I can't tell you what happens in this movie, yeah. and I did watch it. I did. <laughs> I made sure I watched yeah. it. I can't tell you. All I can tell you is that it's just like a couple clips in black and white of some soldiers. And like the other thing, though, is like there's no there's no good guys or there's no bad guys in this. I, either. I don't hate that about it. I think that's a nice that's clever. But yeah. what I hate about this is that opening that opening narration over the forest about yeah. like there are men in this forest and they are at war with the and I was just like, what are you talking about? What exactly are you trying to say here? And I, honestly, right away, I was just like, oh, this isn't this isn't going to end in my favor. No, yeah. And so, as someone who really does advocate for movies being short, <laughs> this is too short. Too I, short. I'll say that. Yeah. I'll admit that there is such a thing as too short of a movie, yep. or at least if you're telling me this is a feature film, like this could be a short movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to assume you have no sequel prequel ideas. so what i want to ask you yeah in you know place is what do you prefer a good movie that is too short or too long give me an example of a good movie that is too short well maybe not even oh sorry let me rephrase that a bad movie that is too short Okay. And a good movie that is too long. A good movie that is too long. I still want to be entertained. I still want to enjoy the experience yeah. and like have a story be told. And I want to hear it. And I want to see it and experience it and live it. Because to say to your part when that's a good movie that's too short, my reaction is I want this to be yeah. longer. I, I, like, I, I yeah. realized I was like, wait, I'm not phrasing this right. <laughs> yeah. But, I was, but in my head, I was like, you sat through Magnolia and Magnolia fine in the last hour kind of falls apart. But that's still two hours of a movie that you're completely enthralled by. Yes, it is. And then I I really do like that first two hours of it. Yeah. Or at least up until the point where they're singing Amy Man. <laughs> it's tough. To <laughs> it's not going to okay. stop. Before Mita starts singing this whole thing, let's just so give, you wise up. give me a rating. <laughs> oh, wow. We're just like fast forwarding through everything. I don't really have anything I, else to say, honestly. like I just, I just, yeah, I think there are things in this that are definitely like, you can see a little bit of Kubrick in there. Yeah. Like it's coming out, especially with that, oh, Private Sydney. The, yeah. the guy, yeah, like his character and his acting in that, I was like, this kind of reminds me a little bit of Jack Nicholson yeah. in The Shining. Like, there's like little glimpses of it, which is kind of nice. And I appreciate that. Well, I'll go into my reading. So I appreciate that we watch this because, you know, just like when I watch Kids 90 or is that what it's called? I don't know. You're the one who watched it. I think it's called Kid 90. I also watched mid-90s okay. in the last while, too. So I'm getting the two confused. It's a bit of a 90s. It is, about, it is about the journey, not the destination. Sure. And so, you know, when I think about the last 50, 49 episodes, this is episode 50, uh, I think about all the movies we've watched, you know, there definitely is a journey there. And I think I've, well, I'll talk more about that next week. But for this specifically, it was nice to see, you know, kind of the beginnings of Kubrick there. Mm-hmm. But this just has, there's no substance to this. There's no intention. There's no, there's nothing intriguing or arresting, as you keep saying. There's nothing there that I'm like really compelled to watch this. And I wouldn't really recommend this. I think if you are a coop or you're interested in learning more about him, I actually don't think you need <laughs> yeah. to watch this to understand the rest of his films. Yeah. 
Um, that being said, I have not watched all of them, but I, I just think you could kind of give this one a pass because for somebody who is, you know, recognized as one of the greatest directors of our time, this really doesn't show that. And I don't think it's part part of his lexicon. Mm-hmm. So you, you can skip it. You don't need to watch it. And so with that, I am giving it one star. <laughs> okay. Yes. Very good. Very good. I did not like this. <laughs> I did not think this was necessary viewing in the slightest. I think the things that are most interesting about this are the glimpses of Kubrick. It's nice to see those things. Like, they clearly he had an aesthetic and he had a sense of what he wanted to do from a young age. And that's that's fun to watch. It's fun to see those things kind of shine through. There are a couple of shots of cinematography that I was really a big fan of. There's a couple of really interesting things, how he framed things. He definitely has a he has an eye and a lens. And I think he works very well with a good script, but I think he needs that to do it. I actually, I don't think this is necessary viewing for anybody. However, I think the people who could learn to watch this are young people in the film industry. Any type of work, like writing, acting, filmmaking, directing, I think to watch this and to see not everyone starts out great. I think there's so much power in knowing that like someone as as renowned as Stanley Kubrick made this piece of crap and that he's he doesn't he's not fond of it that other people are kind of like oh this is kind of boring I think it's so important for people to be able to see this as a prime example of you you are meant to get better at things and you will get better at things and you will hone your craft and you will go from fear and desire to eyes wide shut and people will remember eyes wide shut they're not going to remember fear and desire so I think it's necessary viewing for people in the industry to remind yourself that you're not going to be good at the beginning and that's okay because you can still end up being great yes keep making your art keep making your art because one day your fear and desire will turn into eyes wide shut so for all of those reasons this movie is getting one and a half stars from me one and a half wow i'm sorry that this is our last i know what a dud mitha And Kate, to be fair, I did say at some point, I was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this one. And you said, no, no, I want to watch it. I did. I was looking forward to (laughs) this. I love Stanley Kubrick. So I was really looking forward to this. And then it started and I was like, oh, oh, this is not going to be what I want it to be, is it? And then the first thing I read, Stanley Kubrick hates this movie. Yeah, hates this movie (laughs) with a capital H. Oh, well, we agree with you, Stanley. We At do. least you you are self aware. Yeah, imagine he <laughs> imagine this was his favorite work of his oh own. Oh my gosh. Like this is the one that I wish everyone would watch. Yeah. Mita, oh. that's it. Oh my gosh. That was fifty episodes, fifty movie reviews. Wow. wow. I'm actually I am very proud of us. I'm very proud of us. Very proud. Should of we us. do our final Kevin Bacon? Yeah. Oh. You're challenging me first. I challenge you first. Great. I'm a little scared, I won't lie. You're going to connect. Let me get my timer. Mr. Kevin Bacon. Uh-huh. To an actor from a, another Stanley Kubrick movie. Okay. Mr. Malcolm McDonald. Oh, I know who that is. Do you? <laughs> yes, I do know who Malcolm McDonald is. Okay. Okay, there's just so much that I could do there. Sorry, I pronounced it wrong. It's Malcolm McDowell. McDowell. There we go. Yeah. But your task is to connect Mr. Michael McDowell to Kevin Bacon. And your timer starts now. Uh, 
Malcolm McDowell, the last thing I remember seeing him in is Bombshell, because he plays yes. Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, he does. Which stars one Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. who I'm not going to go the Tom Cruise route. <laughs> I'm not. Okay. She produced In the Cut, which stars Kevin Bacon. Okay, good for you. There we go. Whew. There's one slight, uh, 29 seconds. There's one slightly yeah. more obvious one. But you again, yeah. Michael McDowell plays a lot of smaller characters, um, but he was the principal in Easy A. Oh. And then Emma, Emma Stone to Crazy, Crazy Stupid, Stupid Love. Love. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. He's also like, yeah, he's had a lot of smaller roles. Yeah. I always remember him from Entourage, too, but I couldn't quite get I know, there. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever watch Entourage? I didn't. I don't think I could deal with it. Oh. That's too much douchiness in one yeah i don't think i could ever watch it now yeah. back then i was super into oh, it though. and like you know how everyone says you know after they hear the hbo introduction like the home box office yeah. and the yeah and like so whatever tv show you think of automatically says a lot about you for mine is entourage really like i always hear the theme song of entourage after i can't not mine is sex in it's the not city. a city <laughs> it's not the sopranos it's like not, i've actually never yeah. seen the sopranos so i can't I know I need to. I need to. Uh, maybe Season after Downton. three of this podcast is going to be us <laughs> watching The Sopranos. Uh, okay, Mitha, yeah. Kevin Bacon, me. Okay, Nadim. Mm. So I went a different route because we did Stanley Kubrick so many times yeah. now. Um, I looked at what was originally put on our docket, which was the film Lolita. Okay. Yes. And so I would love for you to connect one Kevin Bacon to, to Shirley Douglas. Who did she play in Lolita? I don't know who she played. (laughs) (laughs) I just know she's in it. (laughs) Okay. And your timer starts now. Okay. So, Stanley Q. So, there was a remake uh, of Lolita done by Adrian Lyon. Yeah. Adrian Lyon directed so much. (laughs) I want to go to with Fatal Attraction. Okay. Because you know how I feel about Glenn. Yep, 30 <laughs> seconds. And Michael Douglas was in something with Kevin Bacon, right? <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't count. But I know, I just don't know what it was. Was it JFK? We're 50 episodes in. Was it JFK? <laughs> no, Michael Douglas is not in. You're at 45 seconds. Just tell me the movie. I know I, I have the connection. I'm trying to think. Oh, I um, Flatliners. Oh, there we go. Was it Flatliners? <laughs> yeah. There we go. Okay, I guess that counts. We're going to count it. <laughs> There's actually a much simpler way. Which is what? Shirley Douglas is the mother of Kiefer Sutherland, who's in Flatliners oh. with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Just still Flatliners. Which, uh, that is interesting. There you go. Okay. Flatliners <laughs> for the save. Oh, oh Mitha, that was our last Kevin Bacon. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Because, yeah, we're not going to. We're not going to do Kevin take- Bacon again. Yeah. Ugh, I'm a little disappointed. I think I like Kevin. Bacon. I have enjoyed too, but I think we've done Flatliners, JFK, Sleepers, yeah, yeah Crazy Stupid perfect. Love, picture. Like there's this, there's we've gone through his filmography pretty extensively. Kevin Bacon is not quite Kevin Bacon anymore. Do you know we've actually, if you think about it, we've had 50 episodes. We have played a hundred rounds of Kevin Bacon. Wow. That is a lot. That is okay. a lot, right? <laughs> when you put it, put the numbers out there. Okay. I, I'm getting what you're serving. Yeah. Okay. I think it's time, Itha. We haven't given our audience an idea of what we're doing now. Yes. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Okay, so to start off, 
Um, we're going to take a one-week break, yes. so you won't hear us next week, but you will hear us on April 14th for the first annual Demita Awards. Woo! So we're going to summarize this first season, kind of look at our highs and lows, what the experience has been like, and just sort of um, relish in what this past 50 episodes was. So I'm excited for that. It's going to be you? like our clip show. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're a sitcom. We're a sitcom. And then yeah. on April 28th, will be the seasoned premiere of season oh. two for movies Whoa, to watch before the end of the world. Now, we are going to be watching movies to watch before the end of the world, but it's going to be a little bit of a twist. Instead of me picking movies I want to see and Mita picking movies she wants to see, I am going to pick movies I think Mita should see before the end of the world, and she's going to pick movies she thinks I want to see before the end of the world. Yes, which is super exciting. Yeah. The added twist to it mm-hmm. is that we don't know what the movie is until we record. Yes. Yes. So at the end of next or in two weeks, at the end of the Demita Awards, mm-hmm. I'm going to be letting Nadine know what our first episode is mm-hmm. for season two. Um, and then after we record that one, Nadim is going to let me know what the next episode is and so forth. Yeah. So there's a real element of surprise here, which is like kind of makes me really nervous. I'm like, like I have to pee um, <laughs> because like I don't know what Nadim is going to pick out because it could be a 10 hour movie. And so we, I think we've kind of hinted at this, <laughs> yeah. maybe not a 10 hour, but maybe half that. We have hinted at this throughout, I think, the half of the second half of this podcast as we've like figured out what this is going to be so essentially Mita and I periodically will be like have you seen this movie and then we'll say (laughs) yes or no and then the other person will just respond with interesting because either they're adding it to their list or they're not so Mita and I have a list of about 25 to 30 movies that we're going to pick from I have a list and I'm going to play it a little bit more soft Mita has a spreadsheet and knows what I'm watching in you know next February yeah I do (laughs) (laughs) That's just how I function as a human being. (laughs) So we hope you stick around because this has been an absolute joy and an absolute pleasure to do this podcast for you. Honestly, and when things were really rough, I think Mita and I really look forward to recording this. Yes, it was a great conversation. It was great to talk with a friend, but we loved having this conversation and love that you guys listened to it. Thank you so much. Yes, this was definitely the creative. I mean, we can get into it next week. I have so much to say next week, yeah. but this has been such a great creative outlet for us. And I think um, this is the thing that I look forward to every week is sitting down and talking with you and then getting to share it with people as well, because it's it's scary to put yourself out yeah. there. We say dumb things yeah. all the time. <laughs> all the, all time. the time. But we do it unabashedly and you guys come back and our numbers are going up. So we really, really appreciate it. And we can't wait for season two. I think season two is actually going to be so fun. So I'm so excited for some of the things I'm making you watch. (laughs) Yes, me as well. You'll also notice, I feel like, (laughs) in our movie choices, Mitha and I will go back and forth between lighthearted and over-the-top heavy, because that's just who Mitha and I are. Yeah. (laughs) So there'll be a nice balance between the two of us. That is our gang and our gang. Yes. But before we get to season two, Mitha, what have you got as our final, final parting words? This one was tough to pick, guys. Okay, yeah. There's not many words. <laughs> no one's going to punish her. I simply want to tie her up. What a way to end this. <laughs> Especially at like this, this, the world today. The world today, yeah. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Please continue to like, subscribe, share, and 
rate and review. And we will see you on April 14th, 2021 for the first annual Demita Awards. Bring your best dress. <laughs> sure, I will. Absolutely yeah. will. They'll, yeah, there'll be mocktails. <laughs> <laughs> Take care and have a lovely week. Au revoir. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.